0: Thanks, worship team. Well, good morning, and welcome to our online audience. It's so great to be back here live preaching in person. It was so weird to have to wear, like, dress pants today. I almost came to church wearing sweats, and I, you know, and then I remembered what it was that we were actually doing, We've got chat going on if you're watching us through Facebook or YouTube or whatever program we're using right now. I'm not up on all of the tech side, but say hi if you're watching in the chat, especially if you're not tuning in from Winnipeg. We'd love to know where you're watching us from. Let us know how we can pray for you Until we can more fully open, this is our community. This is our chance to be together. This is our way to talk to one another is through this chat, so please use it. Take advantage of it. Let the rest of the church know that you're here and you're watching, and we all are in this together. So let's start with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, Thank you for today. Thank you that we can be together. Thank you that we can be together through a live stream service, God, that we've had the ability to reopen even if just a little bit so that we can do it this way, God, instead of all pre-recorded, Father. We, th- we thank you for the blessing that that is and we look forward to the greater blessing when we can all gather together once again in your house. We pray that you would open your word to us today and that we would be blessed by your presence. In your name, amen. So we are in the second week of our series on the Gospel of Mark, which we have creatively entitled Marked. We are talking about the encounters that people have with Jesus, and we're using the Gospel of Mark as our guide through the season of Lent, working our way up to Easter. Mark begins with this wonderful verse, the beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. The beginning of the good news. It's like there's so much more to tell and this is just the beginning and there's so much more. In fact, Mark is generally believed to be the first gospel that was written down and there's kind of an echo of this first verse of the first gospel in the last verse of the last gospel. John 21 25 tells us that Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for all of the books that would be written. Mark tells us, this is only the beginning of the story of Jesus. And John tells us, I've only been able to tell you a drop of the ocean of everything that's happened. These two verses, these bookends to the Gospels just give me this feeling like there's so much more to the story. And they especially make me feel like the story is continuing and that I get to be a part of it and that I get to experience the good news of Jesus and that I get to see and be a part of these things that Jesus is still doing. Jesus is hard at work in our world. The Gospel of Mark is all about encounters with Jesus. In fact, there's very little teaching in it, especially compared to Matthew, Luke, and John. But it is full of action full of encounters that Jesus has full of verbs as John told us last week one of Mark's favorite verse verbs verbs words is immediately i don't know if you've encountered Jesus but there is nothing like it you can't encounter Jesus and come away from him the same way that you met him because the gospel of Jesus Christ is the same it is always the same yesterday today and forever And it is good news. So, why does it seem like the gospel doesn't work on some people? Why does it seem like the gospel doesn't work on certain situations? Why does it seem like there's that one sin, or maybe more than one sin, that you just can't kick? I started a diet this week. I'd love it if the gospel was good news for my belly fat. Pray for me. That wasn't very spiritual of me to say, but... Put it in the chat if you agree. I won't tell and God's got a sense of humor. So, why does it seem like the gospel doesn't always work? Why is it that some people don't respond when given the opportunity to follow Jesus? And why do some Christians not respond when given the opportunity to serve? Let's put a pin in those questions for now. Mark chapters three and four, which are our focuses this week, seem to have a particular theme. These chapters take place inside a larger narrative, which is the rising action of Mark through the first eight chapters. This section focuses on miracles and the encounters Jesus has with people, but also on the rising conflict between the Lord and the religious leaders, the Pharisees and the other members of the Jewish factions of the day. As that conflict develops, every time I read any gospel, but especially Mark, I find myself wondering where I would fall in that conflict. It's so comforting to just assume that we would be with the disciples, standing with Jesus and believing everything that he says, but my fear is that many of us would stand with the Pharisees, telling this stranger from a backwater village that this is how we've always done it, and who are you to tell us these things? Reading Mark, and reading the encounters with Jesus makes me turn inward and it ref- makes me reflect on who I am, what I'm really like, and especially what are the things in me that are keeping me from encountering God. Don't, don't get me wrong. I am not saying that in meeting God is entirely up to you. God is the primary mover in this relationship always and in all respects. God initiates, God enables, God empowers. But to jump back a little, if God is always at work, always prodding, always empowering, why are there some people who don't respond? Why don't I always respond? I must conclude that in some way, God expects our response, and we have the ability to reject God's power and gift and grace in large ways and in small ways. And if that's true, then this examination of ourselves for how we can be better followers of Jesus and what impedes us is extremely important. It's like sharpening the axe before you go to cut down a tree. Beginning well, actually, beginning at the end of Mark 2 and continuing right through Mark 4, there are a series of stories that just drive me to these questions. They drive me to question my own ideas and attitudes and assumptions. The teaching of Jesus and the actions of Jesus make me want to know how I can have more of him and wonder if I'm getting in my own way. So, let's look at the text. The parable of the sower is at the beginning of chapter 4, and it's a great example of this. Let's read it. Mark chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. Again, Jesus began to teach by the lake. The crowd that gathered around him was so large that he got into a boat and sat in it out on the lake while all the people were along the shore at the water's edge. He taught them many things by parables, and in his teaching said, listen, A farmer went out to sow his seed and as he was scattering the seeds, some fell along the path and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow, but when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns which grew up and choked the plants so that they did not bear grain. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up, grew, and produced a crop, some multiplying 30, some 60, some 100 times. And then jumping down to verse 14, where Jesus explains the parable, the farmer sows the word. Some people are like seed along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. Others, like seeds sown on rocky places, hear the word and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Still others, like seeds sown among thorns, hear the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth and the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Others, like seeds sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop, some 30, some 60, some a 100 times What was sown, the word of our Lord. This parable is normally, and I would say rightly, interpreted in the context of salvation, of saving faith, and of those who hear beginning a new life in God. And in that context, Jesus is answering many of our questions about why some people respond and others don't. But that wasn't all we were asking, we were also asking why Christians don't always respond to God's sanctifying call. I would suggest to you that this same parable plays out in all of our lives every day in many small ways. Okay, look, right now, you're here, you're watching the service, right? You're obviously fully engaged, you're not playing on your phone, you're not being distracted by like a screaming child or a mess or a soundboard or, right, like obviously, right, okay? I'm just teasing. Some distractions are legitimate and you shouldn't feel bad, but let's assume that right now you're good soil, okay? You're paying attention, you're expectant, you've had the soil of your heart tilled by a time of worship, making you more tender and ready to receive. Great. You're good soil. Say amen in the chat if you're good soil. But then you turn off the service. You go have some lunch, you get into a fight with your spouse, you read something online that upsets you and now your heart's feeling kind of rocky. you were real excited about what you heard this morning, but by the time you get the opportunity to put it into action, you've either lost interest or been distracted or changed your mind or forgotten. And by the time dinner tonight rolls around, not only have the little birds pecked away all the seed, but you're, you're choking, choking on the thorns. The worries of this life and the deceitfulness of what this world tells us to value. The state of our hearts and our ability to receive and grow what God is trying to put into us is something that needs constant attention. You may already be growing a crop of salvation, but that isn't the only crop that God wants to bring up in our lives. Fruit like, like love, joy, peace, patience, and all the other fruit of the Spirit listed in Galatians 5:22 a crop of being more like Jesus, of encountering God and being transformed into the image of his son. So what kinds of things can we pay attention to in our lives so that we can embrace God's call on us? Let's take this parable as a rubric and see if we can find some examples. First, we have the path, the, the seed that falls on the path and is eaten by the birds. This seed falls onto hard ground, totally unprepared to receive, there's other things going on that keep the seed from sticking around. This soil to me seems like a distracted heart, a heart that not just has lots going on, but so much that you can't pay attention to what's going on in front of you. It's a it's a cheap shot to reference Twitter during this part, right? Because the symbol is literally a bird, but it's not a bad point, right, that social media comes in and, and can steal those things from us, can steal our attention. More broadly, though, what is the thing that you, right now, feel like you should be paying attention to instead of listening to this sermon? What is the, the app on your phone that you kinda wish you were looking at? What is, what is the book you, you sort of feel like you should be reading? What is, what is the thing that is calling for your attention? This could be anything from things to do around the house to a family issue that sits heavily on your heart, some political or social issue that's on your mind. And and note that these are not bad things, right? I'm not listing bad things, but we have to be careful. We have to learn how to set these distractions, all these little birds, aside so that we can receive from God. Second, we see the rocky, shallow soil. And I think the heart to compare this to is a lonely heart. You see, the problem for the seed in this soil isn't that the ground can't receive. The seed springs up quickly, but when the sun comes up, the seed is scorched because it has no root. Having no root sounds a lot like not having discipline. You know, you you start the diet, but you want a burger, something with bacon on it, and cheese, and and yam fries. Mm. Or you start working out, but you just don't wanna get off the couch. Or you start budgeting, but then something you really like pops up on the Facebook marketplace and the price keeps dropping and you know you could do it and you really want it, but you have other priorities, but gosh, that price is so good and you want it. Maybe you started a new Bible reading plan on your phone this year, but it's not even the end of February and you've already abandoned it. But I think it's not just a lack of discipline. I think it's a lack of support. See, discipline is really hard if it's all by itself. It's like trying to drive a route down into rocky, sandy dirt. But having support is like being in good, open soil, where the people who are on their own journeys around you come around and together, you keep that route in place and you give each other what you need. The most effective treatments for addictions are almost all based in groups, In accountability partners, in relationships that bring people out of their isolation and loneliness to a place of support. So, why do we think that our relationship with God would be any different? It's why we do church, it's why we gather together, even if just around a screen right now, to give one another mutual encouragement. Put some encouragement in the chat or in the comments, even if you're listening to this later. This is why we have Bible studies and small groups and prayer chains, because we need that support around us so that when the sun comes up and scorches the ground and Burger King brings back the angry king just the week you start your diet, you've got deep roots that can bring in the moisture that you need to stay alive. The last kind of soil is the thorny soil, it's full of weeds. This one sounds to me a lot like the seed that fell on the path, except that it's like later. Whereas the seed that fell on the path was immediately snatched up, this seed went into the dirt and started to produce, but it was choked out by the weeds. The worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth and the desires for other things. To me, this sounds like the things that come up during the week and keep you from acting on the word that you've got. This one doesn't keep you from hearing, and it doesn't attack when you're alone. It just makes sure that you're never able to get around to it. I'm a, I'm a grown-up now, so I don't really have nightmares. You know, when I was a kid, I used to dream about being chased and about, like, dying and about that sort of thing. But now, I have more, like, anxiety dreams. Can, can you relate? I don't dream that I'm being chased But I dream that there's something that I really, really need to do, somewhere that I need to get, someone I need to talk to or to help, and I just cannot get to it. And I think this is what life is like for so many of us. We know what it is that we need to do, we have plenty of knowledge. We've come to church, we've read the Bible. We have the knowledge, we know what it is that we need to do, but we can't or we won't act on it. And this one, to me, is the scariest one because it's the one that I least know how to deal with. To use a word that gets tossed around a lot today, this is a systemic problem. These weeds are things that you plant. They're thorns that you've watered. Maybe they're a toxic relationship. Maybe they're just an overfull schedule that won't let you fit whatever discipline it is that you know you need into your life. But one way or another, you encounter God, you know what it is that He needs from you the sin that you need to release, or the forgiveness that you need to give, or the spiritual discipline that you need to develop, but you just can't get around to it. And instead, you're choking. Gasping for air and unable to bear fruit. We have to look at our lives and figure out what those blocks are that are between us and acting on what God has called us to do. Mark is being our guide through the season of Lent. And Lent is a season often associated with giving something up. But the thing that I never understood growing up was that you were supposed to replace that thing with God. It's a whole season about looking at your life for those things that are keeping you from encountering and experiencing God as fully as he would meet you. So, let's look at those distractions in our lives that keep us from hearing. Let's get the support and community that we need to have some staying power and find out what it is in our week that keeps us choking instead of breathing in God's power and life and purpose and joy. Because the gospel is good news. Encountering Jesus is the most powerful thing that you'll ever find. And I hope you do. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this parable that has been studied by Christians for millennia. It is so powerful, Lord, and we're so grateful to have it in our lives to shed light on what it is that we're going through to help us deal with the problems in our lives and to to sort the dirt in our hearts. We pray, Lord, that we would be good soil. We pray that the people would come around us, that we would make the room, that we would put aside the distractions so that we could receive from you, Lord, because you're always sowing, you're always giving, you're always speaking. We're so thankful that you've never left us alone. In your name we pray, amen.